and welcome. I'm Jill Martin, the host of the Morning Bell podcast. On this episode, Luke and I are joined by Kim Kane. Kim's picture book, Family Forest, was shortlisted for the 2011 Children's Book Council of Australia, the CBCA Awards. The Vegetable Arc was a 2011 CBCA notable book in two categories. Kim's first novel, Pep, The Story of Olive, won the 2008 Barbara Ramsden Award and was shortlisted for the 2009 Australian Book Industry Awards and the Speech Pathology Australian Awards. In the media section, we chat about Buffy, Merlin, Anne of Green Gables, and Hello High Water. In the topic section, we talk about our personal connection to children's literature and what kids are reading today. As always, if you have any questions or simply want to get in touch, don't hesitate in contacting me on my email, mailbox at thepenofjoel.com. Thanks, and we hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome to the Morning Bell Podcast. We are coming to you from the Brunswick Street Bookstore, and I am joined by Luke Manley. Luke, Hello. how's it been going? Oh, good. What's going mean? I don't know. Why it do always, people say that? How's it been going? going? What's going exactly? Uh, obviously something is. But turns of phrase, man. They're weird. Turns of phrase. Um, that's good. I've been writing some more bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, weird thing. Yes. You don't generally do this in your um, writing, I assume. But for me, lately, because I'm running Dungeons and Dragons sessions in my world, uh-huh. I'm writing things and that, and it helps to... It's like... Flesh out things? It's not just fleshing out. It's like giving a really unusual perspective of the world that mm. I'm writing in. Because you don't usually look at it from that side of, of how is somebody outside my world going to interact with it. Yeah, you, it's like <laughs> imagining the character... As if they were walking through your world and you had no control over the story. Yeah, like, right. Where, where are they going to go? What in the world am I supposed to prepare for them to see in this world? You know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so last week, it's um, completely off the leash. <laughs> last week, you won. Uh, last podcast, rather, Jay Christoph. Um, we were having a pre uh, preamble before the podcast, um, and we were talking about D and D because he he was um, he, he plays D and D and has played it. Um, and it's curious the and I've tweeted about this the amount of writers that that um, are engaged in that world. And I've been wanting to get somebody on who actually, um, and hopefully this will come through, uh, who's been designing a role-playing game. And it's just a, it's just an interesting process, right? Hmm. It's like designing a world and then building it and then living it out. Though at the same time, I do know authors that have written a book that came out of a D&D session and they've been really bad, <laughs> right? <laughs> Like that's the inverse. <laughs> that's it, right? Yeah. Well, they've just been garbage. D I'm fascinated by D and D. Yeah. No, D and D is like one of those things that uh, you you it have to do. On, yeah. yeah I mean, I always associate it with rubber fetishes. So <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> I mean, I assume that would be maybe. Hmm. But I've, I've got to actually, I've got to look into it now because I keep meeting lovely people that that really are engaged by D and D. And you're right, there are other writers yeah. that are really it's, into it. It's a little bit like an acting version of Choose Your Own Adventure. Yeah, with maths. <laughs> yes, with maths. <laughs> with maths. Oh, it depends on the version you play. Some of the, them have to get it for my son. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. The thing is, I think any sort of pen and paper game, mm. right? I say D and D is the umbrella term, but any kind of pen and paper game is fantastic for engaging imagination, right? Mm. It's one of those great tools because anything that you can think of, you, you're able to put into the world. And they always say, like, the best way to explain pen and paper games to people who haven't played them is that 
you tell a story and when the GM, the, the author of, mm. the, of the game, and the players don't agree on something, that's when the dice come out, right? <laughs> so if you think about it like that, it's a pretty simple system. You're basically an author and if you and your characters don't agree on something, you roll some dice and figure and it out. And do you dress up? No. no. Well, well, I mean, could if you depends. want to, but... <laughs> it depends if you do. A lot of people do them online now. So yeah. they just do Skype sessions or, you know, voice or... There's quite a lot of offline ones there. Yeah, there is a lot of offline. Um, I've it's only always done better when you're in person, but... It depends. It's not always possible. People... Th- this is an entire different discussion we're going into, but why not? Um, it depends. <laughs> it's like if you're in person and you're rolling and you're rolling dice and playing it, you know, D&D, sometimes you depending on what kind of person you are, you might be a little less confident, right? Yeah, because it's possibly. like, I'm here in person and I got to put on a silly voice or like, if I if I want to. And then, you you know, you lock up, you might get a bit shy and yeah, that you kind could, of thing. Yeah, you could be locking out certain personalities. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, there's benefits to, to, to both ends, definitely. But yeah, it's, it's fascinating, Kim. You should... it a childhood. I'm going to get into it. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'll text you some pointers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you've heard her voice. Welcome, Kim Kane, to the podcast. Thank Lovely you. Lovely to have you. Um, Delighted to be here. <laughs> how has your week been? Week, rather. Um, I had a bit of a bleak week. Ooh. Oh. I have. I mean, not not in any great way. Mm. But, I mean, we're coming up to... Tonight is actually the winter solstice. It is. Yeah. And I wondered if things weren't going to turn around now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I found myself baking very elaborate cupcakes today which is always you know that they always go a bit versace elaborate ooh, so elaborate yeah and it did make me think that that i was avoiding writing <laughs> <laughs> no, you're celebrating uh, because, solstice with the yeah. round cupcakes right? yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it they were no? they were ridiculous i mean i actually did um you know uh letter block you know individually oh, printed wow. names i mean it was, it's crazy Okay, maybe it was yeah, procrastination. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Then. It's crazy. Yeah, um, for for my for my son's teacher, who is an outstanding teacher. Yeah, but still, it's um, I really should I should get back into my my next novel. So it's been a bit of a funny period. I think this winter is you know, I don't know. It's it's interesting. And the I, world's in crisis. It's hard not to feel like the world, it is, world's in crisis. Yeah. And my grandmother has mice in her apartment. So. It's just one thing after the it's other. It's been really. one thing after the yeah, other. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, At so least it's not rats. It's not rats. We don't know. There oh, was one very long worse. piece of poo, so it's either a very it's big like, rat. Yeah. Get a cat <laughs> in. Well, okay. Decipher. Get Bear Girls in. <laughs> I Ask have him nuked to figure it out. them. I have nuked them. All right. There yeah. you go. Kim Byung Il. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Some North Korean jokes. Yeah. Just chucking it in there. Um, it was. I, I know this guy. I like how I'm trying to prevent saying any of his identity because it's actually quite a terrible story about mice, is that he had an infestation of mice in his kitchen area, um, mm. which is bad. Bad. Very bad. Um, especially when you like open the cupboard and you find the, yeah. the gifts from last night um, hanging out for you. Um, On your crockery. Yeah, it? that's even worse. <laughs> and... Yeah, you pull a plate out and you're like, that doesn't look like porcelain. <laughs> um, so anyway, he got he, he was progressively losing his mind over like a week and, you know, tried different traps and stuff. And they just they just never went away. Nothing worked. So one day yeah. he finally cracked, right? He lost his mind, lost his marbles. This is a true story, by the way. Yeah. He took a mallet. Oh. Um, and he saw one of he these He hamburgered mice. them. Yeah, he hamburgered <laughs> them. Yeah, absolutely. 
he sent his, the mallet flying like Thor's hammer towards one of the mice, in which it cushioned the mouse right up against the the, the um. I understand the compulsion. Yeah, it's just so much rage, and so he murdered oh. the family of mice that day oh. in a fit of violent rage, yeah. and then he felt very guilty about it. See, I'm a children's book writer. I can't even talk about that. I know because <laughs> they feature in a lot of books. That's true. Right? <laughs> yeah. I think good characters, yeah. <laughs> smart right. characters yeah. in the Gruffalo. But um, there you go. Don't don't go all Thor on a mouse. <laughs> Why not? Take oh. it. I mean, I you were know. saying it was a good thing at first. Yeah. And then he felt really guilty, and then you know he took and then he wrote pictures of their yeah. dead body and sent it to me. And he was like, "I feel really bad. I murdered them." And I was like, "Don't send me this stuff. I don't want to know." Um, anyway, <clears throat> off topic, but I was going to put my grandmother's bed in mm. four um, pails of water. You know how they used to do that ah, in yeah, the olden yeah, days. So yeah. the mice don't call. Yeah. yeah. Does, does that work? I don't know. I don't think so. Right. No. I mean, they wouldn't be able to get in. If they're trying to get on Can the they jump? She, she didn't have proper bed legs, otherwise I would have if done it. If they're really desperate, they might <laughs> jump. They but might I'm assuming jump. they're not going to just jump onto a place that's not full of food. I mean, are you a mouse? <laughs> are you? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I eat as much as that. Um, so let's move on to the media section before this gets entirely derailed from mouse talk. Um Funny thing is, we'll probably come back to mice in the children's section because I actually want to talk about a book there. Um, yes, well, me too. So, in the media section, what have you been watching, Luke? Let's start with you. Oh, you want to take my spoilers first? Isn't I you? do want to take okay. your spoilers, so then I clear well, them off the, the thing is, I'm I'm not. I was going to try and go themed with children's for the all right films I'm watching, but I don't. You failed no. <laughs> miserably. <laughs> is I that what you're with Jimmy you haven't been watching Uncle Grandpa. <laughs> You're with like Jimmy Neutron. It's been a few years, so Fat no. Albert, great show. No, um, no. I started watch, rewatching the Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. Yeah, it's been which a, is we're up to the twentieth anniversary now. Is that right? Is it twenty? That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, there's been a, possibly there's been a. It's definitely an anniversary. A Buffy anniversary. Sounds right. Yeah, I think it's twentieth anniversary. Damn, and it's a good. It's good. I've always enjoyed that that world. That Joss Whedon set up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my favorite things, I mean, it's for anyone who's listening and hasn't seen it, it's urban fantasy, um, high school drama with all the vampires that aren't sparkling. Mm. And I, I found it very... Um, I've always found it very good for the, the all the different um, like al- analogies that it pulls for all different areas of life mm. through that era of growing up that yeah. stage. Um, so, like, different teachers who are monstery creatures and oh, so, so relationships I, that are, like, love potions and stuff. Hmm? So, I never realized this. So, Buffy's actually based around a school then. High school, mm. yep. Really? I had no idea. There you go. There you go. I just assumed she was a monster slayer. She is a monster slayer. I didn't know she was in school. She's in school as well. Right. And they're clever because they do episodes like the musical episode. Yes. Where they just do a, you know, it's like music theatre for one episode. Yeah. It's really yeah. clever. Yeah, they're all these great one-off things yeah. in, in different episodes. Uh, but one of my avant-garde. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favourite um, aspects of the series is... Uh, an experimental side of it. I don't mm-hmm. know. You probably remember when Dawn was introduced. Mm. The very first episode. Well, she actually. I just said, mm, and actually, I don't. <laughs> you don't remember? Sure. No. Dawn, okay. Um, so. But go on. Buffy, her, her sister. <laughs> yeah. Who 
appears at the very end of an episode somewhere in like the fourth or fifth mm. series. She's never had a sister until then. She has a sister all of a sudden at the end of an episode and it doesn't go into that at all for three or four episodes or so until it says, oh, all, it was, this was integrated <laughs> into your minds to protect this, which not she's not a human. She looks like a human, but she's not a human. She's, she's been integrated into the entire world that they're in just to protect her from some big bad. Mm. Uh-huh. And so, they, yeah, they experiment with all these different things like... Um, like memory devices and I mean most of it's all it's all witchcraft sorcery stuff mm. very yeah. interesting um, rituals they have shown there but but yeah just the experimentation side of it, I really appreciate it because you know it didn't it didn't stop and say oh we should have explained this it said no this didn't ex- get explained because because it was not supposed to be explained none of the other characters knew so why would you that kind of thing it was good um I always found TV shows that did those one-offs and and those yeah. you know those experiments within their own shows. I always I was always I was one of those kids that never you know got things very quickly. I still am. <laughs> um, but there's a and I, New and Zealander. I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Staring at a particular animal for too long, you forget that other other animals exist. Um, very good things that come out of New Zealand. That's true. Okay, including Rachel Craw. <laughs> that is very true, including Rachel Craw. Shout mm. out to Rachel Craw. Mm. Um, so the, the Magnum P.I., mm. right? Um, I loved that show when I was a kid. And what was his name? The actors, the main... Do you, do you know that? I would have no clue. No, I didn't have a TV in the 90s. He had I, mean, a, really, I haven't watched TV until recently. He had a recently. killer moustache. Uh, I can't believe I forgot. Oh, Magnum, the actor. Yeah, Magnum. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Can't remember. Anyway, there was an episode in that show where it went all black and white, L.A. noir, like you know, uh, crime detective sort of a thing, right? And whenever those things happened in a show, to me, it always felt a bit camp. Always felt a bit like this seems out of place. This seems like you've run out of ideas and you want to keep the show interesting. What do you think, Luke and well, Buffy? That, that sounds a little out of place when the whole filming style. Like he was in a dr- like a dream. Like he fell asleep, he was in a dream and imagined he was in, you know, he was a noir-esque detective instead of being in When Hawaii. it goes into dreams, I always feel that it's gone. Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. a cop-out. Gone. It's That's always a cop-out. Cop it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Like, yeah. was it Supernatural? I, I didn't even want to watch them. I watched the first one, which was a bit of a dream, and they were like, you know, you look at the descriptions of other episodes, like, goes into a dream, goes into a dream. <laughs> like... Where's the story? Where's Honestly, the original they, story? they have enough seasons that they need to resolve. It's like twenty bad. seasons. Or yeah, something. it's crazy. crazy. But but yeah, I mean, I'd, if it's going to go into a dream, it's already off the rails. I'm yeah. screw that. <laughs> I love musical theatre, so I forgive mm-hmm. anything to get. So you're just like, no, it's good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it can only improve. This doesn't make sense, but it's good. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, fair enough. I think Grey's Anatomy even did a a, a kind of musical. Uh, inspired really well, one episode yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I think they then took off it became a kind of thing yeah interesting but, and that's but their yeah. art form you know it's an American art form That that's what they do so well yeah there that's were true. aspects of the Buffy series which delved into dream but they weren't like because it was a dream it was more like because there was some kind of creature latched onto someone and it mm. didn't it wasn't all dream it was like mixture of what was happening in reality and how they were trying to fix up this issue uh, how they were trying to fix uh, or trying to get back to normality, so it wasn't like just off in Daisyland. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. But um, yeah, so the Buffy f- series I remember enjoying a while ago. Angel series I haven't been watching it recently because I can't find it online. 
mm. anyway. But um, that was the, the grown-up version of Buffy, set in LA, I think. Yeah, that was another one of my favorites. But I also tried watching Merlin. Oh, no. Oh. Let's, let's talk about this. <laughs> I don't know if I really want to talk about it much, let's but... Um, <laughs> after hearing, we need Dr. Livings on to hearing Dr. Join, <laughs> the, join in with the conversation. Yeah, after yeah. hearing Earl last time yeah. I was on mention it in a positive way, I thought, oh, it might be okay. He said very small episode. Very small. He, yeah. And it, very small snippet. I was like, oh, maybe it's actually all right. Because I, I, I started watching it when I was uh, 14, maybe. Yeah. I think. How old is that show? Maybe it not, wasn't when I was 14. Not that. <laughs> not no, that you old. Would, you would have been much older. Probably you would have older been much older. I probably, yeah. I probably saw like one or two episodes. Yeah. I, like, uh, I couldn't have been older than 17. Yeah. And I thought, that's kind of cool. That's pretty cool. And, and now? And now when I go back there... <laughs> And the return is never as good, is it? Oh, it's terrible. It's like rereading but books. But that's, that's, a, that's a hard thing, right? Because you think that the people who are writing this have to be older than 17. And yet somehow... Here comes the critique. They can enjoy writing things that just don't make sense. any sense. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, like, logical, no logical passage of anything. Merlin's M- hard. It's it has some good Stuff. elements. I, I want it to be good. The landscape, the magic, all of that's great. Those are the positives. To the, but when it comes to people talking, that's a problem. Even some of the talking is all right. It's like the but it, probably the, the worst thing that I find is the is Merlin himself. The ca- character or the actor? Maybe it's the actor, right? But I think it's also the character. May, I think it's both. I think it's, maybe the actor wasn't isn't quite fitting it or something. Yeah. But, but the lines, I just didn't buy how people interacted with each other. They act so, oh, I don't oh, a little bit over the top. Yeah, a little bit like um, well, they act that? like they're not in a medieval show. They act a bit like in that um, that western. That uh, was it, Top Gun? No. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I don't know what, what I'm it's talking Tom about. Tom Cruise. Now. Even I've seen this. Tom Cruise. Okay, yeah. it's not. Okay, it's the wrong movie. No. <laughs> Absolutely. No. Oh gosh, I can't remember what it's called now. Anyways, there was a Western that came out, re- a remake of an older one, uh, fairly recently. Yeah. And it was like an over-the-top kind of voice acting. Where, yeah. Well, not voice acting, but over-the-top kind of acting, which kind of felt pretentious to me. So, again, it's like, it's it, there's pretentious talking, but I can kind of get over that because that's how young adult shows seem to be. Yeah. I can kind of get over that. Like, you know, all the crappy ones like Ace Lightning and stuff like that. <laughs> It's like the only show I remember because it's the only show I saw when I was That's back in Australia. That's your reference point. Yeah. That's my reference That's point. That's Luke's reference point. <laughs> I have no reference points. My parents deprived me of reference points. Oh, absolutely. Gen- generally minded That's too. Terrible, it was like isn't the, it? just like one or two occasions when I watched an episode of yeah. Ace Lightning. That's what I was like. <laughs> one episode, and that was enough to know the characters to contribute to the discussion. Yeah. Let's follow Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> You could bluff your way with one episode. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's right. You just mentioned a name. People are like, oh, yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was very sad. Yeah. There's a lot of room in there. I found Merlin incredibly painful. Like, I tried one episode, like, last year, and I oh, I couldn't stomach it. It's it's tough. Apparently, it gets better in later seasons. But that's like saying eat okay. gravel for, like, a year, and then maybe you'll get some cake one day. Yeah, I suppose you I could, could get litter. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but you could. That's true. Yeah. So yeah, no, that that excuse doesn't work. Yeah, I might for me. try skipping ahead. See if there's any. 
yeah. anything good in there. Why but. not? I mean, it's not like you're going to miss much. Apparently not. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's go to you, Kim. So I have seen, um, well, I saw an Opera Australia um, r- opera recently, King mm-hmm. Roger, which was a superb production, but difficult to describe because it was the staging that was so superb. Mm. Um, I saw Book of Mormon. But I also just watched Anne of Green Gables on, or Anne with an E, which is the new Anne of Green Gables series, which Netflix have done. Um, have you guys seen it? I have not. Have no, not. it's interesting. It's very dark. So mm. it, it, it's very different. I adored the Anne of Green Gables book series yeah. as a child. Um, I read it once. I read a few books a couple of times. My, my best friend Alice loved it so much she actually gave up Anne of Green Gables for Lent and never made it. Like, yeah. But th- that was my affection um, for the series. And then I adored the TV series the, in the 80s, mm-hmm. it must have been, mm-hmm. the 90s, the telly series I thought was superb. Um, and this one, I'm just not quite sure. It's it's shot absolutely beautifully. So there's always a sort of grey woolen scarf and a grey yeah. hand knit against a kind of snow snow and, and fence. So it, it, it's it's very, very beautifully shot. But it's almost too beautiful. I mean, Marilla right. was not aesthetic and she yeah. lives in this very sort of scrubbed house which is has got beautiful sort of angle. You know, every time you – everywhere you look, there's sort of beautiful linens and hmm. – but on home scrubbed tables. and I mean, it's beautiful but it doesn't quite feel right and it okay. misses the – Anne is very ugly mm. Um and at first I was like, wow, she, you know, she's got yellow teeth and boggly eyes and freckles, this little girl. And she's a gorgeous little actor and she's very charismatic. Mm. But actually Anne, you know, Gilbert picks Anne out of the whole class. And yes, it's because she's intelligent, but I think she also wasn't as ugly as she thought yeah. she was. So I'll be interested to see how they deal with that. But it's really dark. Like it's, um, they imagine the backstory to Anne as an orphan and she comes into the family and, and she's, She's really inappropriate in the classroom mm. um, because she's she has been without family, exposed to things she shouldn't have seen. So I found it mm. – I think it doesn't create the – I remember that book as creating this sort of secure as, – as being a very secure series mm. and, and, and it was very comforting. It was mm. a sort of Duna series and I think they've sort of shattered that with this – episode I don't, yeah. think it's, I don't think they've reimagined it and it's new and that's great but it's not quite right mm. i okay. i had not seen i had not read the the series but i'd watched the mini series uh what, yeah like, it makes me want to go back and see that quite a while ago yeah, yeah. I mean, gilbert was my first love in that mini series. <laughs> <laughs> and this gilbert is also very handsome you know, yeah you know, he's for a 12 year old but I, I loved that gilbert as a child that, yeah in that mini series i just thought he was unbelievable yeah, the hero. Totally yeah. dreamy. And I, yeah, and much better looking than I'd ever imagined him when I was reading the books. Yeah, of course, yeah. because it's like, yeah, your imagination is of that perfect. He died a few years ago. Really? Yeah. I remember wow. reading about it and thinking, oh, <laughs> my first crush. <laughs> Unrequited. <laughs> uh, interesting. I, I had not heard that it was. Um, it was on Netflix, but yeah, I'm, I, I think might. they've produced it. You know how they're doing all these Netflix. So it's an original produced. production. I think so. Yeah, interesting. I think so. Yeah, that's that's odd. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it's odd, but well, I don't know why you'd revisit something that a generation thought yeah. was perfect. I, I, I almost think that yeah. 
Yeah, I almost think that the kind of things that they were talking about in the book aren't transferable today. Like, some of it, sure, like the character motivations and and the way the characters are, obviously. But I think it's hard for people to relate to that these days. And I know relatability is one of those evil words that I don't like very much, but... It's very slow. Yeah, exactly. It's really... It's it's, meant to be, right? It's ponderous, yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think that this generation of children are used to much faster-paced yeah, novels. So uh, maybe they're trying to do it for an adult audience that enjoy the Anne of Green Gables? Yeah, and I then... wondered. Like, I thought it was actually too dark. Because I that last teleseries I could have shown my twins, yeah. their age. I don't think I would show them this yet. Yeah. So I did mm. wonder whether they were... Actually, I was exactly the audience. Yeah, I was exactly. trying to catch it. Yeah. They're trying to, it's like Matilda, the musical. You know, yep. they got the nostalgic viewers as well as the, the kids. New, yep. I mean, that's. I guess that's when you that's feel you've perfect, really achieved. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like they're trying to pitch a kids series slash book two or book series to adults who had enjoyed it. Look, I would anything that's well written, any mm-hmm. ch- children's book that is well written will stand up to an adult read. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, a beautiful, a well written children's book will have you, you know it will use metaphors appropriately and they'll be inspired when I was thinking about oh, so I mean I mean just adults instead of children and adults with the darkness no I think they're doing I think they're trying for both they're probably okay. trying for teens mm. yeah ah I wondered whether I they were trying teen for teens that's series, tough though. it's yeah. not teens yeah. but I reckon I still think that my teen would enjoy it yeah mm-hmm. so it's just very dark but children are exposed to a, yeah, a you know a absolutely. lot of dark things now and yeah. Zana Freyon has just been um She's just won an award for the uh, Carnegie Award this week, which is terrific for an Australian uh, writer um, with The Bone Sparrow, which has been shortlisted for numerous awards here. Um, And that book has won an Amnesty Award as part of the Mm. Carnegie. And it's a really, really dark book. I mean, it's I I think it's an extraordinary book that, that children are getting exposure to a refugee camp and the sort of dreadful things that are going on in, in that camp. Um, but it's dark. So yeah. I don't know, maybe they are. Maybe they're. I well, definitely. Yeah, kids. Well, the Harry Potter dark series is very dark. Cor- Coraline, for instance, very good book. Coraline, very good. Mm. Um, yeah. Very, very dark too. Very dark. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. There we go. Anne of Green Gables. I will have a look at that. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely curious. Well, I want to go now. back and read the series. It, yeah. made, it made me want to go back and read the series and see. And stuff. see what yeah. it. Yeah. Whether it holds up to your see memory it, of what it, it was. Well. See if it has any grains of truth kind I of thing. I don't need marble holes. I used to be able to recite the last 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, interesting. Very, very curious. I'd like to see what they would do with that. Yeah, it's such an odd thing to revisit, though. Anyway, let's let's move on. I've got uh, one film to talk about. And I guess talking about the one film, you kind of have to talk about the three. Um, so it's... Um, I like how I've just mind-blanked completely here. Uh, Taylor Sheridan. Now, he's the screenwriter who did Sicario. Mm. And Sicario was a great thriller. I really enjoyed Sicario. Um, and I didn't realize that he was doing... He, he'd written another one. Um, and I think Elizabeth Flux, who was on the podcast uh, a couple um, episodes ago, mentioned it. So I, I eventually watched it. Um, and it's really well done. I, I don't think it's a brilliant film. I, I think still um, that Sicario's pace... Um, and just energy in that film is it, 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 it's a better film in, in that regard. Um, this is not meant to be edge of your seat thriller though. It's, it's meant to be a thoughtful um, look at America. And he Taylor what Sheridan. What was this? What was this one called? Uh, Hello, High Water Hello, is High the Water. film. Um, 
and it stars Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, and Ben Foster. Um, and they're all great mm. actors in their own right. Um, Jeff Bridges, for me, steals the show because everything that has <laughs> Jeff Bridges in it is going to be, you know, a film I like. Um, and he, he plays this, you know, cranky um, ranger that's going towards retirement. And there's a, there's a sense, every time Taylor Sheridan writes something, and he, he's talked about this, he calls that the three movies that he's making, that, that being um, writing, rather, Sicario, Hello, High Water, and then the new one coming out, which is uh, Wind River. Um, they're all part of a series he's calling the um, modern-day American frontier, right? So, it, and, and for me, growing up on Westerns, it definitely does feel like a natural evolution of the genre. Hello, High Water is definitely a Western for me. Mm. It feels like an old-school Western set within modern days. And to me, in my mind, okay. that's absolutely where it should go. Like, that's why I think Westerns today who just try and be Westerns and, like, old-school Westerns don't succeed yeah. because they're not taking with them the problems of today. Yeah. Um, and, you they're know... evolving. But, yeah. yeah, exactly. They're not evolving, so they're dying is the, is the problem. Um, and Hello, High Water looks at uh, an America which is, is full of debt, um, has, you know, passed the housing crisis, and all of these scars that are on the land like transfer over very well into the imagery and maybe a bit too overtly, you know, blast you, um, you know, straight in the face with the, uh, you know, house for sale or like cheap loans and, you know, those posters that show up every, you know, two seconds in the movie. Um, but I, I watched this. Yeah, but it's a... I but think I did. You did? Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the title, but now it's coming to me. Yeah, the two brothers <laughs> basically seek to, to rob a bunch of banks um, to pay off the mortgage on their... Um, oh, so it is a Western. Yeah, their yeah, mum's um, property that um, uh, she died and then the bank wants to foreclose on it. Mm-hmm. So it's this, you know, the bank being the enemy and the sheriff not being the <laughs> adversary. The sheriff, you know, has his own... In this case, it's a Texas Ranger um, with his partner. Um, and it's just a good film. Like, yeah. it's very sad. Mm. Um, you don't end the film happy... Um, and for me, the best westerns don't end on a solid, happy note. Um, some do, but most leave you with a taste in your heart like, yeah, that's, 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 that's sad. That's sad, yeah. That's sad. There's always that sense that like, in that American frontier in those days now transfers today. And I think he did a really good job. So if you judge it as a western, I think you'll have a good time with the film. Hmm. Um, and the performances are pretty standout as well. Um, a rev- I think it was the um, a Roger Ebert review on, on his website, I, I forget the actual review now, um, reviewed the film and said that Ben Foster should stop playing twitchy roles like because that's all he does now. Um, and I would agree with that. He probably should do something else. But he's still great, and um, it's a good movie. So that's my pick um, for this week. Um, let's move on nice. to the topic and chat about Children's Lit. Um now, we brought Kim on, and we thought we haven't talked about Children's Lit for a very long time, um, and we wanted to get a sense of where the genre is moving. Um, we've, d- we've done this with fantasy with Jay uh, in the previous episode, and we, we're going to do it in science fiction soon. Um, but let's talk about children's literature. Let's talk about uh, its evolution and maybe a bit about our personal experiences with that as a kid. Um, so I guess I'll start it off. Like As a kid, I wasn't exposed to a ton of of children's lit like i i could name the amount of books that i would suppose for children on one fiction on one hand probably and 
Did you grow up in a reading household? I did not, but I was shoveled books uh-huh. to make me the one to read. <laughs> yeah. And just so happened that I liked it uh, quite a lot. Um, and the, Did you reread stuff? Or? I, I reread stuff a ton. I think that's really common. Yeah. Yeah. As a kid, I don't do that now. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, kids fixate and really take. I find that really interesting watching my own kids and the way they fixate (laughs) on something and they read and reread and reread and reread. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and there were certain authors or certain um, authors when they found that. Like, I was talking to Luke about this and he mentioned that, you know, when you found a series, you just loved it, right? Even if it wasn't a series, even if it was just other books in the same place. Yeah. Same characters maybe interacting with other new characters, that kind of thing. Anything that kind of built up this world. Yeah. That's what I fixated on. Gave you a sense of place and, yeah. What did you read? So, my kids' lit um, list, I guess, was The Secret Garden, um, which is one of my favorite it's books. It's a beautiful to, book. Till today, that I would the say. List. Yeah, and that is my list. <laughs> um <laughs> That's a, f- a fine book. Yeah, it is fabulous. I loved it to death. And it, it is a bit dark as well in its own right. Um, but The dead mother. Yeah. There. And there's always a sense of like decay in the yeah. book, right? Because it's, it's about this garden that's constantly yeah. maintained. And, you know, there's always that cutting away of things that die. And it's, yeah. it's just, yeah, there's just something there in that film, uh, in that book that's, that's not quite right throughout the entire thing. And you find out. Um, another Wind in the Willows, I... Adored that. See, I adore Wind in the Willows. Yeah. My kids won't read it. Really? No. It's been, it's funny, I was just thinking in the it's car. It's too camp, maybe? I don't know, because it's hilarious. Right? I they've love they've it. got a really good sense of humor. I find Wind in the Willows hilarious. Yes, I agree. I mean, I'm going to try again, but it's been one of the ones I adored as a child. My mother adored as a child. My grandmother adored as a child. I've got bubkas with this generation. So. <laughs> <laughs> and they kind of like that English sense of humor. So yeah. they like an English voice. So I am going to try again. Yeah. I, can't, I can't work it out. <laughs> I don't think I ever gelled with it. Never, really? Never, no. Never, well, my never kids just, just never. They've just never. never and they, it's funny because they love Frog and Toad. Like yeah. the, they 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 love other things that I think. Well, come on, if you love this, surely Wind in the Willows isn't yeah, that big. Why a doesn't it stick? <laughs> stretch, yeah. yeah. And they've done Alice in Wonderland. I mean, I I, don't, I find it very odd. Yeah. But Wind in the Willows does have a very strange, like it is strange, but it's, it's funny, right? It's, it's, it's really funny, strange. Funny. Yeah, it's like when you when you reread C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is very funny. Absolutely, yeah. but I don't think kids get that. Um, I mean, I, I'm probably underestimating them, but if I look back at what I understood mm. as a child, I take vignettes with me. I, I, I took vignettes with me, so it's Veruca Salt as a blueberry. Yeah, um, it's that moment where you find the golden ticket like yeah. i still can't open a chocolate bar without still having that flutter that there still might be a pick <laughs> of gold yeah um uh hating Alison ashley it i i, I feel like that i'm playing Betty bow obviously mm. um i just think that there are you t- you seem to sort of take moments the idea of finding a wardrobe and you know mothballs tumbling out and yeah, pushing the coats aside and going right. to another world Mm. Yeah, that was fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Lewis is another example of, and it of sort of what it does read. define yeah. the imagination for a generation. I think um, the that's an expression I didn't come up with, but it was used for Pullman that he with Philip Pullman mm. with his Northern Lights trilogy that it has it's provided something that will define the imagination for an entire generation. Yeah. I think it's a great phase because I think that's what those those books did for 
for me. Yeah. But I didn't get the humor. And I go back and read C.S. Lewis. I was like, oh, this is actually very, very, very funny. funny. It's a very chatty, engaging voice. And I never mm. got that. Absolutely. As a kid, I took it like dead yeah. serious, you yeah. know? Like everything was dead serious in that book. Yeah. And my kids read Harry Potter like it's a work of nonfiction. I mean, that fascinates yeah. me. Yeah. They discuss that like it's a work of nonfiction. <laughs> 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 they can tell you about the Patronus, you know, that they know yeah, all yeah. the spells. That it's really interesting. <laughs> I, yeah, for, for me, it was like you said, there was the particular imagery that was used. Yeah. And I think for me, it was the worlds as well. The mm. worlds that really captivated me. Lewis did a, a fantastic job of bringing it into a world. Um, and uh, there's a separate discussion altogether when it comes to fantasy and whether it's a good fantasy novel. But r regardless of that, as a kid reading that, it was a world of wonder, right? A world where everything was combined. And I think that was the reason why he used all, all the different mythologies is because... If you bring it all together, if I you guess. bring it all together, it's it's just a you know a packet of wonder for a kid, right? That all these things can exist in one world, and and in in my mind, that was the thing that made it true and made it really good, um, and and that's sort of where it ended, right? Like that that's my kids lit, and then I think I was I don't know like eight or nine um, when I read The Handmaid's Tale, and then you know. Yeah, that was it. Um. <laughs> Kids lit was done. <laughs> that was my entrance to the to the adult world, I guess, at a, at a young age. But um, yeah. But I don't remember there being kind of there wasn't YA or there wasn't absolutely. I, I mean, didn't I have YA. Green, no, I just right. graduated. To, Me too. You know, I mean, I, I read just, a Green Gage Summer, and yep. I read um, the River. Rumor Gardens, a river. Um, like quite a lot of things at a young age that I just adored. But they were books that were for adults that Absolutely. had young protagonists in them. Yep. Hmm. Um, for me, it was, you know, finished up with, you know, Beatrix Potter and all, all that and then moved to um, The Count of Monte Cristo because that's a logical <laughs> through path, right? Um, and then because classics were my way in because there's, set, there's a certain voice about that, like you said, that, that um, English sensibility, which dominated a lot of my childhood. I was about to say they're all English. Yeah. Which is interesting because I'm just trying to think, like New Zealand had very strong picture books. Like you had Pamela yeah. Allen and you had Margaret May. And, um, but did you read any New Zealand? No. No. Like I couldn't name one. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think if I read any New Zealand literature as a child. I definitely read Australian literature. Yeah. Um, I only read Australian literature as a child as for uh, school. And for, did you, you like only it? read it for school. For school, yeah. yeah what was that like? Was that different? Did you? I hated it. You hated it. <laughs> I really didn't like really? it. Really? What did you read? Uh, Name and shame. Oh gosh, uh, Red Sand, Blue Sky. Mm -hmm. It's a good book. I just don't like the setting. I don't yeah. like. I didn't like so many things. I just because uh, I was as soon as I'm trying to figure out the history of when I started reading. Mm. What was it? Um, yeah, well, go into go, go into a little bit about you. I, <laughs> I feel like I started with um, just the basic, you know, how to read books and then went to, where did I go to next? I have, I mean, I, I know where it is. Asterix was probably one of my first books. Uh, my mm. brother read Asterix and um, Tintin for years. And my boys are now reading Asterix. I mean, they adore them. Yeah, I, I, mean, I only I only and read they have those so series. much more humor than you realize than you yeah. make it, of course. Yeah, I only read those series as, you know, much, much older than that in completion mm. because, and I guess that was a completely different experience, right? Mm. You get something else out of it. But yeah, no, those were amazing. Uh, and me. then then I had Narnia, which I had yep. a very bittersweet relationship with mm. because I kind of 
hated how all the characters would just grow out of magic and fantasy mm. and stuff. <clears throat> yeah. Like, why would you ever want to get rid of this? Why would you leave the world? What? Yeah. <laughs> it says they grew up. Well, why can't you still be, you know, anyways, that yeah. was, I hated that bit. I really did. Yeah. Um, I was busting to try Turkish delight though. Oh. <laughs> my whole childhood. It made it so I, good. I oh my God. Right. And then I tried it and then I was like, oh my gosh, it tastes like soap. Yeah. It's not great. Oh, you got to find the right it's one. So, and I nice really ones. love it there now. But nice as it, when I first tried it, was it like I had been really <laughs> fixated on Turkish delight. Turkish delight was going to be, I don't know, like, you know, the, the, the Hansel and Gretel's gingerbread house. And then I tried it. I was like, oh, that's so disappointing. Yeah. I think yeah. any child, any child, and I'll stake my life on this, oh will not enjoy Turkish delight. I'm just saying it. I'm Incorrect. putting it out there. I did. <laughs> All right. You're weird. Though. You, you were never a child. Well, the thing Luke. is, I when I was reading these, I... We moved over to Jordan, and they have okay. real Turkish okay, delight. This, this it's real. not like packeted and sended uh, sent over here. Yeah. It's like it's the real deal. The only <laughs> the only good Turkish delight I ever had in my life, and I still do, is from a Turkish restaurant, yeah. and that they, they make they um, make yeah, it good. It's, they dense, be. And it's dense yeah. and it's sticky it's and sticky. it's powdery. Yeah, and, and it's actual rose exactly, water in there. You yeah, know? there's actual rose water, <laughs> and it and it actually tastes. Like my dis- how C.S. Lewis fantasized you could say about earthy. it's like an earthy, <laughs> yeah, this grainy, graininess. Not, not grainy. To it. They also do like different flavors. Anyway, yeah, getting off topic, <laughs> but yeah, any anything else? Uh, so Narnia. I think after Narnia, I kind of went straight into the Star Wars books, which is like, yes, yeah, so again, uh, you, you sort of like I'm, I skipped a lot of skipped a lot of, of that way, and then I came back. I came back to like three investigators, um, Faraway Tree, Inner Blight, and stuff, and the Hardy Boys. Would you say that's YA? Or would you say that's kids? Kate? Faraway that's Tree is Faraway, definitely that's, kids. That's little, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's kids. I mean, that's sort of grade one, grade two. But it's funny because I um, I read. I also did the same jump back. So, mm. and did you do that when you were in Jordan? Possibly. It's interesting because I, yeah. I'm interested because I went to um, Germany. And that was where I sort of rediscovered, I mean, I think that's what's made me a writer because I rediscovered children's literature at yeah. 16. Hmm. So at 16, I'm in a country where I don't speak, I mean, I can speak the language just, but I don't yeah. read the language. And so I started reading to my host brother and sister and then who were babies. And then um, and then I found the kids' bookshelf. So I rediscovered it, Eric Kiesner at 16. Like I just Old think stuff, that's, yeah. yeah. And I got really into that. And also German has, Germany has that whole culture of, it, 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 it sort of values childhood. Yeah. Um, and so you've got, uh, I lived in Nuremberg uh, later on, which is where the big toy festival is, all the beautiful wooden toys all come out of Nuremberg and around that area. Um, and there's dolls, you know, dolls of value. I was a 16 year old playing with dolls. I mean, it's deeply unusual. Um, here I am, you know, turning my nose up at D and D. And the and and studied in Göttingen, which is where the professors were. You know, wrote the Grimm's profe- Grimm brothers were professors at the university there. So, and you, you're going to towns like Hamon, which is where the Pied Piper t- piped. Yeah. So there is the. Um, it, it's it's a country that values childhood and and, and and fairy tales and, and story and legend but I, yeah. and it does and then I came home and then I started I, I'd had this sort of diet of children's books and then I came home and, and I that's when I discovered Robin Klein mm. so um, halfway across the galaxy and turn left and hating Alice and Agatha I started reading the stuff my brother was interested yeah um, and then I've read I mean I've read adult fiction as well um, you know fiction I read fiction mm-hmm. um, but I I think that is what got me interested in it at a, a much older age. Mm. 
Yeah. yeah, it's curious. Like, what was that journey from you between that childhood and then switching to the more Star Wars, which is, I guess, almost adult, right? It was written for remember, fans of the series. I don't remember the journey, but I always remember thinking... I didn't even know uh, Star Wars was books. <laughs> <laughs> no, so so many different books that I was into I was from those. The whole whole series and... Uh, like the comics and then also like the thick, thick novels that were written by Timothy Zahn, for instance. Mm. Um, but no, I don't remember the transition, but I always remember thinking at this at the time that I wouldn't, I didn't want to read baby stuff. Mm. Yeah. I, I wanted to read this, like the stuff that kept being more interesting instead of sort of like fixating on kind of childish ideas is what I thought. Mm. I was like, I, I, I want to see the cool stuff. I want to see the, the older yeah, stuff. Yeah, every kid wants to grow up But quick, not just, right? not even just growing up. I think it was just that the stories were more interesting too. Yeah. Because most of the kid stuff that I found was, it felt repetitive to me. So I'd be reading like Inner Blighton stories and and most things would feel a little bit like those. Mm. The way that the story is told, like the... Um, like the the kids all kind of accumulate and have their little kid communication and they conversation don't stand up on a reread. Yeah, they do not. They don't. Yeah, <laughs> no. But I think that again, it's the it's the imagery, like that idea of a tree that carries you to different lands. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It for me, it's in a different way, I did revisit Hardy Boys. That was my. Mm-hmm. I, I I would say that's kids' lit, right? That would be more, you know, Younger, older kids. Maybe Three Investigators is the kids' version. Yeah, that, that's true. It's probably like older kids. Yeah, older yeah, kids. Yeah. yeah, and like I said earlier, I'm I'm not the kind of guy that gets something very quickly as a kid and just continued. So for me, I loved it. I read every <laughs> single one of those books, and it never oh got my old. Goodness, they're still it coming out. Never <laughs> got. Wait, are they still coming out? Oh yeah. What? Yeah. Really? It's under a pseudonym now. <laughs> years to catch up. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. <laughs> I've got places to be after this. Yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> well, the, the thing about that, that series is that it was ridiculously predictable that somehow the dad's crime that he was investigating would fishtail into what the, the boys were investigating, mm. inevitably. And that happened every single time <laughs> the dad was investigating anything. Don't worry. That breaks down eventually. It, it Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but I loved it. I yeah. loved every single moment of it. And, uh, uh, you know, as a kid, um, did you I, read Famous Five? Like, did you go through? That I did stage? not. No. no, Secret Seven. Secret no, Seven. my brother did. Um, so I thought everything he read was not good, <laughs> and then I just, I, w- I would blaze my own trail. Um, but yeah, and then there was that that ine- inevitable transition where um, my parents were like classics that's what will feed him next um and so count of Monte cristo ivanhoe and all that ended up to be quite the stuck-up young kid enjoying those books to high heaven because i love those books still today um but let's talk about we've gone through a bit of our own past how about you kim what was that what was that so like? what did i read yeah what was my reading past um so i did that german that the germany was yeah i was a big part of it because i i did discover rediscover dolls and mm. I had a sort of freedom to be a child again yeah um and maybe it's also losing language like maybe when you sort of thrust back that's into a position your where you're where you're having to communicate in other ways as yeah. well mm. um but even at university I was still I mean it was sort of like a dirty secret you know I'd have picture books in my room yeah <laughs> sort of, because they're so beautiful and I was a fine arts yeah, student they, yeah um and I would look at these illustrations and I was really sort of very tight Bunyip of Barclays Creek know Ron Burkett they're just beautiful beautiful editions beautiful books and I think Australia's been doing some quite extraordinary stuff Mm. and I feel Mm. proud to be part of that Um, and I look at some of the things that 
um, Australians are doing overseas, and I just think it's extraordinary. We've got two Astrid Lindgren Award winners in Melbourne. I mean, that, yeah. that, there's no other city in the world that boasts that. So Sean Tan and Sonia Hartnett, and they're both sitting here in this city of literature. Um, we've got people like Zanya last night and like um, uh, Freya Blackwood's won the Kate Greenway, Greenway um, Award in, in the UK. These are major awards. Yeah. Um, we've had lots of people shortlisted for the Prince Award, which is the big library association award in the in the US. I feel very. It's, I think it's amazing the stuff that's coming out of this very very small, con- well small by population, mm. and and particularly in this city. Um, but I have segued from what I read as a child. Mm. I read, um, as I said, a lot of stuff that had child protagonists, and I still like books now with a child protagonist. Mm. Um, of course, I can't recall one single book that has a child protagonist <laughs> that, <I laughs> of course. that I've read yeah. <laughs> recently. Yeah. Um, but I, I have been in a spate of reading a lot of um, children's and YA books. But um, I, I, I still feel at home and I still enjoy seeing a ch- children's psychology in books. Mm. But mm. I was never a big fantasy reader, not particularly. Yeah. Um, although I think they're the ones that do travel and they're the ones that do a newer. In a, they don't age, maybe. Traversability, like, yeah, just because anyone so. can, yeah, um, it's a different world. So it's interesting. I, I think it's interesting to look at the people that are getting into fantasy. Like I, I'm sure Jay, Jay discussed, he'd have, he'd have a much more idea than I do, mm. but it is interesting watching the way um, things that are, are emerging yeah. um, from, from the fantasy scene. Um, I wrote a book which I thought was a work of historical fiction, my latest novel, and um, it's just the one that's just won the Aurealis Award. But um, my, my, I was sort of obsessing over some sort of historical detail, like, you know, whether the – this is when the lyrebird calls – what this particular button on the undies or yeah. whether lino was available in <laughs> yeah. Mount Macedon in July 1901 and if it was available in a scullery, what colour it would be. <laughs> and then my friend said to me, I just find it so funny that you're obsessing over all these tiny details um, – when you've got a lyrebird transporting a girl back to the 1901s. Yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh, it's speculative. I have no idea. <laughs> so having said so grandly that I didn't read fantasy and talked about C.S. Lewis, um, yeah, obviously. <laughs> There's that transportation some, when, when yeah. you realise, oh, man, wow. I'm a speculative Can author now. Bo wasn't yeah. a <laughs> um, But, yeah, and, and for, the, for our listeners, that's, I guess – our basis, you know, where we came from. But, you know, where do you think the genre came? Where do you think the genre is going now? You mentioned darker earlier. and you and you. I were think it's that- definitely quicker. Yeah. And I, and I think that kids, and I, I think as well, there's an excellent article actually, I think it was in The New Yorker this week about a New Yorker writer who had, had has sort of realised that he wasn't, he was no longer reading. So hmm. he was no longer reading books. And so he'd actually worked out all of, uh, these things that he was going to do and had done in order to reboot his concentration, because we are we re- you, you're diverted by an essay or you're diverted by this or you if you're reading online it's really dangerous and you don't you don't have that sort of sustained concentration that it takes to read a book yeah yeah um, which is why I do think it's really important to limit screen time yeah. with kids. Um, how did I get to that? Uh, I think what, what, how things are changing, I do think that kids are used to spliced narrative. They're used to really different types of narrative. I mm. think that all sort of reflects what they're doing online. Um, they want action and they want it quickly and it's why, why Anne of 
Green Gables feels very ponderous. Yeah. They absorb um, verbs. Yeah. They love humour, you know. And They've humor. always loved humour. I don't think that's changed. Yeah. Um, I think, I, look, it's not, I'm going to say boys and it's, I'm probably shot down for being so gendered. <laughs> but it does interest me because I, I have a highly literary brother who read Asterix or mm. Tintin until grade six and I never did and Mad yeah. Magazine. And I think, well, I look at my own boys and they can read anything but actually they love they love Asterix. They yeah. love cartoons. They Absolutely. love Snoopy. They love the Treehouse, you know, series. The great success of that 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 fabulous series mm. um, is that it's highly visual, and I think broken text really works for children. Yeah, and, and I think I would say it, it particularly works for boys. Yeah, um, I think again, it's more of the the verbs. Like everything's about doing things. Yeah, these yeah. Like I think I think it seems to be what yeah. comes up here. Yeah. So. Um, I have a legal background and it means I do come at things from a sort of rights. <laughs> I, I worry about the kind of conflation of the world market mm. um, and the way, you know, it's now very common for works that are first produced in Australia not to get overseas distribution or not to get yeah. UK distribution because the UK doesn't have Australian rights. And that makes me very worried because that takes us straight back to the UK, uh, and it takes place to the 70s really, where um, the Australian rights were assumed and so mm. sort of colonial. And I do think that that can't but affect what you're actually writing. Yeah. So I have a commercial series for children, um, Ginger Green, which is a first reader series. And we've just done a Christmas one. And it's being pu- this series is being published in the UK and the US. Um, which was very fortunate, but it also meant that when I'm writing, I need to be conscious of the fact that this is a series that needs to be... Universal. Universal. Yeah. So you can't have running under the sprinklers yeah. after eating Christmas dinner. And in the same way, you don't want to refer to snow because that's not our kids' experience either. <laughs> so you're trying to find something that... The commonalities. Absolutely. But it also can't help but water down what we do. Yeah. So... Um, it took me quite a while to come to a Christmas story. And, I mean, there'll always be room for a sort of an exotic Christmas that does have um, Glenda Millard, a, again, I'm freaking Glenda, I do think she's a fabulous <laughs> writer, did a very beautiful book um, about applesauce, which was an Australian Christmas tale. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And there'll always be room for an Australian tale. Um, we've had Corinne Fenton's, the ones that have been in the Maya windows, um, were very Australian Christmas tales. And Nikki Greenberg, of course, does fun ones, but they could travel. But I do, wo- I do worry, and Chris, I'm sort of, you know, being obsessive about Christmas. But I do worry that if we see this contraction of the market, what it's going to mean for our agents, for our publishers. Yeah, I, it's in, it's curious that you mentioned that because I think, I think the things that industry. as a as a kid I I really enjoyed was not, I didn't care if the world was not mine. If I never I, cared. I found her, I thought Hershey bars were the most exotic abs- thing ever. Absolutely, I I yeah. I could name all the American candies yeah. and not a single one in my own yeah, country because my parents never bought no, me any. <laughs> absolutely, so I didn't know it was all imagined. Exactly, and, well, and again, twisted mind that I have. But every time I I uh, read Australian summers in books, I just threw them away. <laughs> You're like, that's my I reality. See, I, I, yeah, really I wanted, the, I wanted to I hear about snow kids, because I was so wishing funny, for it. I think kids do like to see themselves in books. Yeah. I, I do think there is part of kids that like, and I think the second that was taken away, they'd really miss it. Yeah. But it is, it does alter what you do. So I had chocolate crackles in um, 
my first novel, Pip the Story mm. of Olive, and that was published in the UK and the US. And when they were doing the UK and the US edit, they were like, what are chocolate crackles? And it's actually, it's not the UK, it's the US. It's, yeah, of course. What are chocolate crackles? And I said, well, you know, they're made with rice bubbles and they're, you know, I found at most parties here. And they're like, oh, no, we can't have to. And I was thinking, honestly, you can I go mean, with that. It's got the word chocolate in chocolate it. A chocolate crackle. Crackle. Absolutely. You can go with that. Have that? a confidence Any kid to go would with be, that. Absolutely. And you know, that will be their Turkish delight. Yeah. That will be their Turkish yeah, delight. Yeah, it doesn't need to be true for them, no. right? It's just the idea of a f- no. of something like But if great. we're faced with this conservatism, I think, well, overseas, yeah. in different markets, I think, well, that that is going to affect what we do. Water here. down the authenticity. There might be something so. different in that Turkish delight was a very, very old and exotic sweet. Yes. Very, it's got a huge it's history. It's like a very English Whereas, kind of exotic candy, right? It's, well, it, not even English. It's just a very old sweet from Turkey. Mm. But Turkish delight and Hershey bar, like neither of those to a child sound particularly mm. like they are, where a chocolate crackle is onomatopoeia. Yeah. <laughs> it crackles and it has chocolate yeah. in it. I couldn't imagine anything better. It's easy. Yeah. The, and and it's curious you mentioned that seeing yourself in 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 fiction. I'll talk to you about this, Luke. You know, was that a thing for you? Was did you? Find I saw that? myself in fiction. I didn't want to see myself in non-fiction or real-world settings. Yeah, because I always hated what I had for some reason. Mm. I guess. That, so the, yeah, hearing the about cornflakes threw me off. <laughs> hearing about uh, hot Christmases threw me off. Mm. Uh, I liked cold Christmases because I'd never had one. <laughs> because you wanted the different. Right? I wanted the different. I always wanted something different. Yeah. Yeah. It's curious because I, I agree with you, Kim. I think kids do want to see themselves in fiction, but and that's what's driving this whole own voice movement. Yeah. The, well. the yeah. you know have we need more it, diversity. <laughs> but it's a thing that I I never identified with as a kid. You yeah. know, like as a kid. I definitely didn't want to see myself in fiction. I wanted to see other people. Yeah. Because to me, the magic of reading was to transport yourself to a place that you couldn't go to. That the book was a was a teleportation device, where you looked in and you saw something else. And to me, that something else was was always more attractive, right? Um, but yeah, you're right. It's definitely it, somewhere I wanted to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, you know, what kid wouldn't want to go to Narnia? Or, you know, the, the Secret Garden was a, you know, it, a kind of pastoral English setting that I could never get to as a kid. But yet I had no idea about, like, what that actually means. What is an English pastoral setting? It didn't matter, you know? The, the world was fantastical in, in its element. And, and to me, that was that. But it is curious. Where do you think... Why do you, do you think there has been a change between that? I think it's difficult for me to cop because I always saw myself in books, right? Yeah. So mm. th- I, I, it's difficult. But so all I can do is rely on people mm. who have grown up who are not of Anglo Australian background, yeah. who feel that they couldn't see themselves in books and mm. feel that acutely. Which is, I mean, there's a fan, there's an, an extraordinary young girl who's on YouTube. I just saw her this week. Um, a young Jamaican American girl who was set up to get a thousand books featuring black women or black girls in america so she's called the black girl project maybe she calls it so she's she's jamaican american Mm. she's she she is so articulate she just blows this panel away it's worth Mm. looking up and she's got almost ten thousand books now that have come into her yeah but for her it was really important she wanted strong girls she wanted women of color that was really important she wanted particularly jamaican Mm. um American kids in books. I mean, you know, I was a privileged Anglo-Australian girl who had grown up in England. Mm. 
I could identify. Yeah. I'm excited by the changes that we're getting and the real drive that we're getting in uh, in publishing to get kids from different backgrounds or young people and old people from different backgrounds writing. I think it's important. And I particularly liked the Reading Matters conferences, one, conference. One of the tweets that came out of that was, you know, it's one thing to publish, but you've got to support the publishers. So that means there's a librarian and you need to go out and buy the books. Even if you don't even like them, there may be someone in your school who yep. does like them. And I like that sort of like taking it one step further. Mm. Um, I think it's wonderful when, you know, the industry is supported by, by the broader industry. Yep, uh, and there's some there's just some great writing that that is coming out. Yeah, yeah. So, and it, uh, Rebecca Lim recently ran a day where they got I'm not sure if you're they got a whole lot of, um, they ran a sort of diversity forum really where they got publishers in front of people from um, Australians from different backgrounds, but they also had deaf writers and blind writers. Mm. Um, together putting their work to publishers I and mean, it's a fantastic initiative and Beck, yeah. you know Beck is a great she's an Australian Chinese writer she's absolutely fantastic writer so I think that's exciting that we mm. are getting a bit of diversity um, and, and, and hopefully that will create pathways for more diversity in our, in our writing um, I think the big change I mean I, I, I sort of touched on it before when I talked about my children treating Harry Potter like it is a work of fiction of non-fiction Non-fic- and I find yeah. that interesting because for my children reading is a very social process so it's actually all about reading the same thing hmm. and they all like to be involved and, and they identify like if someone's reading a book and they're not quite so keen on the kid then they may not be so keen on, on reading the book but if some yeah. of their friends reading you know, mm. Kate de Camillo they want to read The Tale of Despero or I find this really interesting how there's this sort of social aspect now and Julia Eccleshare, who was the chair of the Guardian Children's... Mm. Oh, she um, was the editor of the Guardian. Fabulous uh, section they had in the Guardian for children's literature. And she came out recently and spoke with the Australian Children's Laureate at the um, Wheeler Centre. And she said... Um, I can't remember if it was part of that or afterwards, but she said that she felt that Harry Potter was a turning point because it was the point at which book went books went from being an intimate private thing to being a public thing Mm. and I think that's probably I mean she's a very smart woman I think that's right though like I feel like you know book Mm -hmm. clubs have become a thing like there's grade three girls at my boys school who are running book clubs and I I mean it's it's sort of it's it's amazing but it's, it's really social and I, maybe they don't even read the books. <laughs> maybe they're all just watching the movies. Doesn't matter. <laughs> but the fact that it's called a book club—that's really that's interesting. Nice, isn't yeah, it? yeah, absolutely. This is eight-year-old girls who've set up their own book club, and they they share this. And I think that is kids that, that care about that's reading. That's fabulous. They really care about it. Um, so I think I think that's a that's a change. There's an enormous amount that's being published. I yes. think you just look yeah. at the shelves. I can't even keep up with what's being published. That's a bit exhausting. The quantity is and incredible. And I wonder, I mean, I don't think we can maintain it really with a population this size. So sometimes I wonder whether there won't be a bit of – I mean, I hope it won't just be the commercial stuff that keeps being published and it's the smaller um, projects of worth that sort of slip away. I, that would make me very sad. Mm-hmm. Um I am constantly astounded by the quality of literature that's published in this country. Yeah, you know, Emma, Emily Gale's The Other Side of Summer and Vicky Wakefield's fabulous, and even you know Gab Williams has just done my life as a hashtag, and she's so funny and 
and fun. Yeah. Yeah. And also just engaging with like what kids are you know, seeing and experiencing today, yeah. right? Like changing the way we see it. Yeah. Um, you've you've um, talked at several events for kids, I'm assuming, <laughs> by at this stage. Well, it's funny, I have. Yeah. But we really are. Um, I, I mean, I I'm speaking at the Melbourne Writers Festival, which mm-hmm. is coming up, and I'm honoured to be part of that festival. We are not represented. We're not represented in the media. Yeah. You know, if we look at our portion of sales, we account for thirty percent of sales in book in bookshops. Um, and we're certainly not represented at festivals. We're not 30% of festivals. And Tony Wilson, who's another children's writer, always says we're wheeled away in time for nursery tea. Like, it's sort of like... <laughs> <laughs> Four o'clock, guys, off you go. <laughs> and it is really... It's interesting because it's such... I mean, sometimes you get people who are fantastic presenters. You know, they are so engaging because it is a, it is like being a wheel, right? It's, it, it's, it's terribly theatrical. Mm-hmm. And that's the opposite of what we do as writers. I mean, adult writers get to stand up and talk about craft. And children's writers have to stand up and engage kids. And so you you sort of learn. It's taken me a while to find my own voice and work out how I'm going to do that. And I, it's, I run a very a highly visual presentation, mm-hmm. which I do do, and we'll be doing it in a number of schools throughout August, um, throughout the state. But um, it's very rare that we get an opportunity to discuss craft. Yep. And I, that frustrates me no end because I feel like we are a highly analytical people. Absolutely. And um, there's a lot to discuss and I think – I mean, I think the festivals say, well, we don't sell your tickets. But I can't work out why because, you know, if you're turning up at a festival, they're mainly middle-aged women. Mm. So they're, they're reading fiction. They've probably got kids. And if they don't have kids, they've got grandkids. Yeah. So it just seems bonkers to me that there's not more discussion. I mean, people always want to discuss what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. That's a bit dull. That's kind of been, done it's been every done single all, yeah. hour of every <laughs> single day. Exactly. <laughs> but there are a lot of things that come out of um, – that come out of writing for children. I mean, Kate DiCamillo, I've mentioned just Kate, but I have just seen her talk recently, and she she spoke about being, um, she talked about her path to writing mm. um, and her, you know, 372 knockbacks, which was, which was interesting. I think because she's um, foreign, we treat our foreign authors a little with a little bit more respect. So at Sydney Writers Festival, they will get the odd adult session. I mean, yeah. it, it's great the kids see them. I mean, Lauren Child was out here. She's the new UK laureate. It's it, She's wonderful. Mm. But I just wish there was a little bit more on, on craft. Yeah. And I've segued from Kate to Camillo because I've completely forgotten what I was going to say. She had said something very interesting. <laughs> It'll come back to me. That it's curious it's, that you mentioned. Oh, yeah, I was just wondering if you've talked to kids a lot on these occasions. Um, do you ever get any feedback as to what kids want to read, like what they want to see new? Anything else they wish they look for? No, I always feel like kids know when kids. I mean, I feel like you can't always predict what children are going to like. Publishers can't predict it. One of my publishers said to me when she writes something or publishes something for a particular person, that's when she knows that she's going to hit the mark mm. because all of her successes have been for a particular person. Oh, okay. Um, and she she analysed gaps. So with Ginger Green, we were at the, a different launch, the launch of The Cow Jumped Over the Moon, which was Tony Wilson's new book, and her daughter was just starting to read and she, she said to me, Kim, there's nothing here pre-Billy B. There's nothing here for very, very first readers who can't quite cope with Billy, need more pictures, need a bit of glitter. Yeah. Um, mm. She said, "We need to, this is what we need to do. And so these have found, and we'll hopefully we'll continue to find, a spot. Um, 
but I don't I, – I find it really interesting because I think my kids know when something works and they will read and reread it and reread it and they're not the only ones doing that and you can do put all the money into marketing you like in the entire world but it actually has to come from the children yep. and they recommend it to their friends and that was and it's the same with adults you know that's what drives things it's recommend word of mouth recommendations really carries a ton more it drives weight. sales mm. yeah. but you have to get it right in the first place and if it's not right if there's something off they're just not into it <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah um well it has been a fantastic discussion and i can't believe an hour has Is already passed wow. but um <laughs> Yeah, we. I will we'll echo your through. sentiments uh, entirely, Kim. Is that I think writers in for doing this podcast for over you know two and a bit years now, um, it's it's abundantly clear that writers don't really get the opportunity to talk craft as mm. much as they would like, simply because we are exposed as individuals as writers to working in the system that we can't wait to talk to people. So you know when people say you know talk to us about writing and not just surface level, but let's really get into it. You know, it excites them to no end. And I've seen that, like, <laughs> smile, you know, light up so many writers' faces. And it's like, oh, I actually get to talk about my writing? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's that, you know. Not just that character. No, yeah. Not just that character. Well, not just the plot. Like, at most children's book reviews, well, firstly, they're only, you know, 100 yeah. words long if, if they're published at all. And then they're, just, they're so short. Mm. And they're all about plot. Yeah. So you, they, they never look at language or metaphor or yep, the appropriate. Exactly. Uh, it just uh, it uh, of of the yeah. metaphor for the language. I mean, it just sort of drives me. Yeah, bananas. tone or all of that, yeah. you know. But there you go. Um, we hope you've enjoyed the discussion, ladies and gentlemen. I've loved the discussion. This and also oh. for for <laughs> Kim, she loved it too. That that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kim, tell us where people can find your work and follow you on social media. Um, oh, I'm a bit shy on social media. I'm intermediately on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I'm intermediately on Twitter, and I do have a Facebook account. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do periodically Instagram, but I am going to in the process of getting a website set up uh, so that I can have a bit more engagement with my readers. <laughs> um, and I'm at Melbourne Writers Festival, which is exciting. Uh, talking about when the library calls in a time slip with um, a time slip seminar with uh, Belinda Morell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've got a couple of books coming out: the cute friend Ginger Greens ninth book or eighth book is coming out next month and enough apples which is the um i've been it's a picture book i've got coming out with lucia masciolo uh which i'm very excited about we did the family forest a number of years ago it's the first time we've worked together since so fantastic yeah, yeah so that's all i've that, that that's it'll be i've had nine books out this year and it's going to be probably a nine year hiatus <laughs> before i have another book <laughs> there you go take You're a well writing it rest. for a while take a well-earned rest <laughs> luke where can people find you social media links you can find me at the soul shard on twitter or on the soul shard.com is my website fantastic well you can follow the morning bell the morning au, or at the underscore morning bell on twitter um ian's in charge of the twitter pretty much so if you have an um excess of gifts just blame him um but yeah do tweet us do tweet at us talk to us we'd love to hear back from you listeners and um follow us for the next episode as well coming up that's right come back in two weeks two weeks that's right and luke's gonna be gone for a bit in um next month so it'll be in 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 so if you you don't (laughs) want that tune out for a month and then come back for some more luke i guess um, fantastic. Oh, that won't happen with you guys. <laughs> Who knows? Month can change. All right. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you on the next episode.